Hello folks, this is Ted Haas. I am super excited about this podcast. It's by Simon Gibald. Uh, he's an Englishman from, um, uh, who's been in Burundi, a uh, country just south of Rwanda, because he said a radical prayer. He said, Jesus, I'll go anywhere, do anything. And the Lord said, I want you to go to Burundi. And he's like, where? And spent the last 20, 30 years there. And God's used him so powerfully. It was so encouraging. And um, he talks about radical discipleship, which touched me because I want to be a radical disciple, but I don't even think we should call it radical discipleship because the Bible just says, unless you die to yourself every day, you take up your cross and you follow me, you're not my disciple. Um, so we call it radical discipleship. The Bible just calls it discipleship. And uh, his message really touched me. Because you can see it, it's all, you know, in the midst of persecution and horrible, horrific things. Uh, you know, it's the same biblical principles. And I want to tell you, I'm encouraged by what the Lord's doing. I'm encouraged by the type of Christians that he represents and encouraged me. And, and I want to be and inspired me to keep being. And I also want to tell you, it's God's time for the Bay Area. If you're called to go to Africa, you better go to Africa or Asia or South America. Go anywhere, do anything uh, for Jesus. That's what being a disciple means. But the real root, of, uh, uh, the real power of that is doing that every single day and planning right where you're at, right here, where you're at. I'm in the Bay Area, and I know it's God's time for the Bay Area. And I pray we don't have to go through the trials and the persecutions uh, that other countries have gone through. But hey, it's painful right where we're at. But also this veneer, this 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 humanism, this materialism is just as hard to blind us. I'll tell you, the catalyst for a radical move of God is not persecution. The catalyst is faith. And it's believers turning in faith, believing God, laying hold of what it means to be a disciple, to follow Jesus, to die to ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. That's the type of disciple I want to be. And in this message, Simon just challenged me. Um, really, really, I mean, I was... It was awesome. So I want you to listen to it and you be challenged too. And I'm putting it before you. Get off the fence, man. Dive in. And if you're already in, keep diving in. It's your, dive, your total radical commitment's good for 24 hours. The next day, you've got to do it again. Take up your cross, die to yourself, follow him. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do with my life. Look, I think uh, here in the valley, uh, I moved here a year and a half ago, and everyone here, the mantra is kind of disruption. You know, we're disruptors here. I hear that a lot. This guy, to give you an idea, he's one of the original disruptors, certainly from my life, I think certainly in, in respect of God. He's had me to Burundi and to Rwanda twice, riding 600 miles in a week on a bike, up and down mountains constantly. Uh, taking me really to my physical limits in that sense, but in those same weeks, he's taking me to my spiritual limits. I mean, just incredible, uh, the most incredible weeks of my spiritual life as well. And also during that time, he's had, since I think I've known Simon now, I've known of him for 15 years. I didn't meet him until 2014 when I went to Burundi and landed there to throw my bike in the back of a truck and then follow him around uh, the country. But, uh, you know, it's... He's one of these people that just constantly challenges me. He's on my mind. I feel that God's put him into my life because of that. To keep me challenged, and I hope he can do the same. I expect he will challenge you today.
And uh, if you're able to keep him in your mind as you leave here, uh, that challenge will always be there. So I'll turn it over to a disruptor. Great. Very good friend. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, thanks for letting me come. Uh, my accent. I'm from uh, America. I'm, I'm British. I've actually got two passports. I'm British and Burundian. I'm one of about ten uh, white uh, Burundians in the world with my family. So five of us about half contingent. Um, to launch us with a question uh, to, for discussion afterwards. So I've, I've been in a war zone. I thought I would die before the age of 30. People have tried to kill me. Uh, it's been very intense in my life. So very, very different from your, your context. And that's the challenge of applying what I say to your context. But it's the same Jesus, right? Just different context. Yeah, the same call of Jesus on all of us to live lives of passionate, radical surrender. And that's my heartbeat. My heartbeat is how far, it's too far when Jesus went that far for us. And he didn't go that far for us just to be nice people, respectable people, you know, the gospel is not respect to the message. And so I've listened sometimes to gun battles, and I've listened to bullets being fired, you know, by the, by the hundreds, if not the thousands. And, and sometimes I'm playing this sort of surreal guesstimation game of how many people are dying right now a mile away. I mean, that's quite a weird situation to be in. Maybe none of you have been in that situation. And, and, and I remember one night, 20-minute gun battle, you know, shells, and I, I guesstimated that 100 people died. And um, I got a tweet in the morning of the dead body. So one person died. Of those thousands of bullets being sprayed everywhere, one bullet achieved its intended destructive purpose of taking life. Now, redeeming that analogy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spray you with a bunch of bullets. And my prayer for you gents this morning is that one bullet is going to hit you. Okay, so your question is going to be, what bullets for me? What did, what did, what did I come here this morning? For, to hear, because you're going to hear loads of challenges, yes, from a very different perspective, but I think that just highlights how appropriate they are for us in this perspective. I've worked in this context in England, uh, so I, I guess from a similar tribe, from a different, different country. Um, but what bullet is for me? So there'll be loads, and, and, and I don't want you to take all the bullets on in one go, because that'll be too much, you'll, be, you'll feel so neutral. Mark says I'm a challenging infant in his life. It, you'll be too nuked with challenge, if you like. Um, but you know, what bullet was for me? Okay, so that's what I want you to have in mind as, as, as we're talking. And uh, so to give it up, I'll tell my story and I'll, I'll literally name some choices. So, you know, I've written this book, it's called Choose Life. Uh, if you want to grab one of those, I mean, they're, they're, they're 20 bucks. But, but so these bullets, if you like, are choices. So that's 365 in that book because it's a daily two minute shot in the arm. But, uh, you know, are you going to choose to live by faith or are you going to choose to live by fear? That's a typical bullet, isn't it? I think most of us actually, even as followers, used to be lived by fear. And this is me talking as having gone to the most dangerous country in the world, literally the most dangerous country in the world, back in 1998 when the Lord called me. So I was in a good job, and this is my prayer. And so no matter what stage of life we're at, you know, thinking about the future, you know, this is the prayer to pray. God, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. And that's just the prayer of surrender, right? Because he's made us good with numbers, or he's made us good as entrepreneurs, or whatever. He knows it's best for us. And I've got an entrepreneur in mind. I went to, so context, I went to England's most expensive schools. It's called it's Harry and Eaton, the two top school, I went to Harrow, and then I went to, I'm a sportsman, so I went to Loughborough, our, our sports university, and then I went into a good job. So I'm on I'm I'm that conveyor belt to success and wealth. Uh, and in that good job, uh, this guy tracked me down. I'd never met him before. We met up in London's Wall Street, Bishopsgate, and he said, uh, my name's Robert DeBerry, I've been praying, I believe God sent me to you, and he wanted you to go to Burundi, and be involved in youth and evangelism. And, uh, so my heart's thumping in my chest, God, is this, is this what you've kept me for? Because that wasn't in the vacuum, was it? I've been praying, Lord, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. And so I said to him, all right, thank you, weirdo, I'll think about it, I'll be spiritual and I'll pray about it. And I went back to my job, and I'm there in front of the computer, 
All right, Lord, if that wasn't some nut job, if that was you sending that guy, then I'll fast and pray today and right now for the computer. Give me a radical sign to justify a radical change of career. And that's my prayer. You know, you guys have never heard of Burundi. Next to Rwanda, so people have heard of Rwanda. Burundi is about the least known country in the world. It's currently the hungriest, highest rate of malnutrition, according to a recent UN survey. Last year it was most miserable, now it's, it's up, it's going with 10th te- from bottom. But you know, a really, really tough, tough place. So Lord, right now from the computer, if you want me to go, give me a radical sign, right now. It'll mean leaving family, friends, security, career, everything, going to a place where I might get killed, and I've told you people have tried to kill me. Radical sign, Lord, please. Phone rings, pick up the phone. Voice on the other end, out the blue, says, do you know anyone who wants to work in? That's my call. Victor, you might not get that. <laughs> you might not get that call. But, but you know, as we look at our next chapter, I think that's just the prayer. Pray that prayer. I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. And in that con- uh, by the way, we should always be praying that because some of us are too settled where we are. And we're always meant to on the move, right? You're always meant to keep in step with the Spirit, and the Spirit is on the move, so you don't want to run ahead or lag behind. That's a prayer of re-surrender that I pray every week. Lord, I'm in, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. Right now, if, you, if I've been the next person to be asked that question in terms of adventure for the next uh, three months, well, in two months' time, we are moving back to England. So I've been gone from England for 20 years, and we're moving back with my family, and we're starting at zero without a house, uh, you know, without, without furniture, and what a beautiful place to start, because we could just <coughs> go in and settle and live like, life like everyone else, getting really excited about a new extension on the house or a new carpet fitting or whatever, or we can get really excited about, you know, leaning on our, our buddies to Christ in the office or whatever it is, and, and modeling something potentially different, not just buying into the whole conveyor belt of, you know, accruing stuff, and, and you know, we've all got too much stuff, you all admit, I'm sure you'll admit to that. And uh, the joy is, I think, back 20 years ago in Burundi was I arrived with nothing, and when we had nothing, that's when you see the power of God, because you're desperate. And, uh, and it was uh, St. Augustine many years ago, he said, God gives where he finds empty hands. And our challenge as people who are invariably successful and done well is that our hands aren't empty. They're usually stuffed full, and so it's quite hard to see, have the experiential reality of God at work in our life, because none of us have to pray and give us today our daily bread and mean it. Because we've got loads of, of stuff. Well, we can, we can rely on ourselves. So, um, so that was the start of an incredible journey. So I went out to this extraordinarily dangerous place. And uh, I went out. I got, I, you know, I went out. The money I took, I got stolen by a friend pretty soon. So I arrived in Burundi with 300 bucks left in the world, if you can believe that. And, and yet the first email I sent in Burundi, I think I sent out 175,000 emails in the last 20 years. The first email was, guys, keep praying. You know, I've left everything, I'm living my faith now, and uh, I need a computer. That morning, a friend of mine in London woke up and prayed, God, I've got this computer, show me who you want me to give it to. And he switched it on, and I got this request for a computer. So it's, again, it's, it's God giving where he finds empty hands. And, uh, and from that, that, that vantage point, we just started off that first weekend, we went up country. And, uh, and uh, so I wanted to work with this vehicle called Scripture Union, it's a bit like, a bit like Young Life, uh, that we... Um, you know, it's a youth organization, youth being the present and the future of that nation, that was my vision. And, uh, and so they wanted to show me they were doing stuff. I got saved through that ministry. And, uh, and, and, and they just had, a, they were bankrupt. They had a broken vehicle and uh, six staff had been unpaid for a couple of years. So that's not very promising, but it is promising because it's, it's the future of the nation. You know, the, 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 the vision was so big uh, for youth uh, transformation. And, and, and so they, they wanted to show me they're doing stuff. So they took me up country in their broken down vehicle. We were down four times on the most dangerous road in the world. I was like, you're gonna kill me? And we didn't die, but we missed two days of adventures, one of the two days. And so I came back and railed at God, I said, come on Lord, just help us get out of the debt in the vehicle that works. That was my prayer. 
And I pictured, you know, 25,000 bucks coming in in a month. And, you know, now I raise money for 15 organizations. That's not a lot of money. Back then, you know, new, new society, that was, that was massive. And in a month, 25,000 bucks came in. Uh, a check made out eight grand for a vehicle. It was, and like, Philippines 4 verse uh, 19. Remember these promises. We've got to stand on these promises. And my God will meet all your wants. Is it all your wants? No. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. And so that's the start, start of an amazing uh, growth season, you know, season of, of uh, this group became the fastest growing group in the country, and we started opening regional offices, and I lived expecting to die. Uh, which you might think is a grim way to live, but it's, it's a great way to live. I just, I just expect to die each weekend. Now, how would you live your life if you thought you were going to die this weekend? Think about that. It would, it, you would be very focused, wouldn't you? You would tell everyone you love that you love them. You would probably assess some petty grudges that you've held on to and think, nah, you know, I want to leave this planet with, with things resolved. I'm, I'm going to go and say sorry, or I'm going to offer forgiveness. That's probably some of us right now. Think about it. You know, what, what grudges have you got? It's just, you know, Jesus didn't wait for us to say sorry. You know, while we still sin as Christ died for us, he took the initiative. So you learn that kind of lesson. If you think you're going to die at the weekend, uh, you are going to get more excited by people than by stuff. Because people matter. They, you know, they're, 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 they're going to live into eternity somewhere. And so that's really important, isn't it? And so, if, you know, I'm not going to spend six hours in PlayStation or go through a whole box of Netflix in one go. You know, today, if I think I'm going to die the weekend, I'm going to want to live. So it's, it's truly living. You know, this year, so I'm transitioning out of Berlin. I've 20 years there, and it's been, it's been a crazy year. I've taken my family, 13, 11, and 9 years old. And we have been in 33 countries in the last eight months. And just going around preaching and trying to show kids the different parts and aspects of the body of Christ and the kingdom. And it's been, it's been wild. But, but our, our mantra, if you like, uh, that we're trying to live by, uh, is, is three words. Live together gratefully. Those three things. Live together gratefully. Because uh, the live bit is that, uh, you know, my observation is that most people, their highest aspiration is to, is to arrive safely at death. It's, it's to not really live. Uh, and yet, Jesus, John 10 says, I've come to life and life to the full. So that's what he's promised, fullness of life, not long life. He didn't say life and a long life, a life and an easy life. He said life and a full life. And he had that fullness in his 33 years. And I thought I'd get under 30 years, but now I'm 45 years old. Still got, you know, um, gas, in the, gas in the tank. And obviously, he's still got stuff for me to do. But the point is that, you know, some people are, get to the age of 80, and actually, they, they already died when they're 25. And they just, they've just gone through the motions and played it safe and suffered for domesticated Jesus. Who is not Jesus? It's not the real, real one. It's that diluted, sanitized version. So it's to truly live. And what does living look like for each one of us? To live together gratefully. Well, the together is, uh, and uh, I'll share some more stories of how maybe we've been used to stop a genocide. And you, you, you can't really uh, work out whether you were because the genocide didn't happen, right? But there's some indicators that that. Um, that through doing stuff together, one of my managers in life is that everything is relationship. And, uh, well, let me, let, me, let me cut that. 2015, we've had 10 years of peace, and, and from 2005 to 2015. 2015, the crisis kicks off again in Burundi. And um, in 1993, our last genocide, a tract was published after genocide. Where did the people of God go? So basically, a tract came out saying, Church, body of Christ, you screwed up. You did not stand up when you should have, and, and you didn't. We weren't that prophetic voice for righteousness. You weren't willing to lay down your life uh, for the nation. 
And so I got together our guys, and this is now I'm married, now I've got three kids, and there's robots burning outside, you know, 30 yards outside our house. So it's very, very real, faith or fear, you know, we're trying to live out that dynamic. Um, and I got together our key guys, and our key guys, it's about this number. And we had met for five years every month, and we had uh, weekends away with our spouses, and so there was a relationship, and there was trust in a zero trust culture. And we remember the table as if, right, who is, um, I'll count the cost. Are we going to die for this? But, but will it be at the, what can we do so there will not be a trap in 2015 saying, where did the people of God go? And uh, we have this holy time going around saying, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Um, all right, you're the best at, at social media, so we're going to get behind you for all those lies on Twitter and WhatsApp. We've got to counteract those. And you're the best at Christian youth and uh, political youth and militia. And, you know, we just divvied up the, the tasks around the table. And, and it, was, it was holy ground. I've never had such a holy meeting in my life. And I, I, I would love for you to have that depth of relationship with anyone other than your spouse, maybe, uh, in the rest of your life. It was amazing, because we accounted the cost of that being ready to die together. And all I can say is it's hard to quantify. Just think the worst case scenario, you know, horrific. But um, uh, we sent two guys <laughs> to Tootsie at the invitation of the military, the, the top military brass, because the, the protectors of the peace had guns that were ready, ethnically aligned, in their barracks. So very on edge. And our guys went to Hutu and Tutsi, both of them had been shafted, you know, screwed by their background, ethnic background. They shared their stories, and at the end of the day, the army's back together. And the top military brass said, you need to go around every military base in the country and sharing that story to keep people together. Now again, that's, that's, that's extraordinary, that's amazing, but what was the context? It was all relationship. It's because we were together, and uh, there's a lovely African proverb, she says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. <laughs> and I wonder who you're together is, and what is your life looking like going together? And this, this is crucial, this is togetherness. Uh, but this is also veering on too big, because I don't think you can be accountable at this kind of level. You know, you need two or three guys that, you know, once every couple of weeks you're meeting up with, and you're asking the tough questions, you know, how, what your, uh, you know, your viewing habits on, on, on a, you know, late night on, on your laptop, that sort of thing, so that we're accountable, and not to condemn, but to encourage each other. And that's a challenge for me, because I'm fast. I suspect most of us are on the fast spectrum. So, you know, I've, I've got a date with my wife, and I've already lost her on the way to the restaurant. I've walked so far. The date's got off to a horrific start, you know. I lost her on the train in Berlin, you know, a few months ago. It's like, hey, oh, you know, it doesn't go well. You want to go, go fast, you can go alone. But we're not about going fast, are we? We're in for a long haul. How are we going to finish our race? And that means going together. So let me come back to the faith of the fear one. So, you know, obviously, got loads of stories on that, of that on my own because I, I lived expecting to die. I remember driving up the hill once. One time, I drove on 40 people were killed on that road, and we got through by the grace of God. But living ready to die. Philippians 1 21 for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's how we're meant to see our lives. Now, a whole lot easier signing going to say that those of us that are single or haven't got kids yet. You know, that's, that's different, isn't it? When you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're single, I proposed to my wife and said, Are you ready to be a young widow? And so she bought into that challenge. And then we get three kids. So surely things change there, right? Well, the thing is, the, the baseline is that we're still called to live by faith and not by fear. And so those roadblocks are up in 2015, and, and it's burning, and I'm like, I don't want my wife to get raped, I don't want my kids to be traumatized or killed. You know, I've wept over this. It's, you can imagine it's been very, very heavy. And, um, and, but I said, you know, it's like, if we leave, we're like the senior guys out there, in terms of Western people, if we leave, everyone's going to leave because they're looking to us for leadership in this, uh, unofficially. And, uh, and we're not leaving. We're Burundian. This is our country. Jesus. 
is incarnate, which, you know, the gospel is incarnational. We choose to be involved in it, choose to sort of draw to where it's comfortable and easy and nice and with our own people. No, we get engaged. Anyway, my son swallowed some popcorn into his lung. <laughs> He's breathing like that, and he wasn't in pain, but we went to the only US pediatrician left in the country, and he said, you need to get the next flight out of here. Um, he needs an emergency bronchoscopy, and five years old, he little Josiah, and the next flight was two or three days away. Um, and thousands of people praying for us. And, and he got home, and I was able to stay. So that's how, that, that was the vehicle the Lord used to engineer to get the family out of the country, and I was able to stay. But the decision wasn't made of fear. It was a faithful division. decision. He went home. On the day of his operation, <coughs> he coughed. And out came this, this colonel. <laughs> and he never had that operation. Uh, and the doctors will say, ask if you have Dr. Benzley now, that's 10 days later, you have to finish his course of antibiotics, and they'll say that's impossible, that doesn't happen. That's God's miracle for us. Fast forward a few months, they stayed in England, I'm coming and going, and I come back from Burundi, and I said to them, let's pray, let's pray and fast and seek the Lord for a week, and uh, are we going to go back? I'd ask our key guys, not, not your average Joes, hardcore, faith-filled guys willing to die for their faith, shall I bring the family back? Because I didn't dare bring the family back, it's too dangerous. All by one. So basically the consensus of godly, spirit-filled men was that don't you dare bring your family back, it's too dangerous. Well, we came back, said to my wife, let's pray. On the day we started that praying for a week, uh, 160 people were killed in the capital. These are key guys that we dealt with. That during daylight, the government ran around shooting them in the head uh, because they were opposition uh, leaders. And uh, blood, you know, bodies on the street, everyone's seeing it, out in the open. And it was the scariest day since 1993. So that's the day when we're starting to pray, asking God, should we go back? And we saw the Lord, we both had a peace in that week to go back. But on the last day, I said to the Lord, I'm going to go for one last walk, Lord. We can't, I think we've made our decision. We're, we're, we're walking obedience to you. We're not going to live by fear. We're going to choose faith. Uh, and uh, but I'd love you to give me a sign. You know, this is the heaviest decision I've ever had to make as a father, as a husband. If anything happens to them, I will never be able to feed myself. No one will ever be so, so please, uh, just give me a sign in your mercy. You don't have to, but be great. So I'm walking along Southampton Common, South Coast of England, where Titanic started off from. And I'm walking along in the park, and as I go along this path here, this other man goes along this path here, and our paths just merge at the exact same moment, and we start walking together. He'd been a missionary in Pakistan, like me, he'd had death threats, uh, he'd had child kidnap issues, and any kind of thing that I was wrestling with. And as we walked, he just spoke faith into my life. And I'm like, Lord, within a 300 mile radius, you could not possibly have handpicked one man at the exact same moment to be joining that path and just speak faith into me. And God is good, isn't he? And we went back, and it was so important to be there because the gospel is incarnation. And he's saying, I want you to be involved. Choose faith over fear. And, uh, and so that's been, I mean, there's so many stories about our journey, but yeah, as I drive on the road, once a friend looks, looks at me with a glint in his eye and says, Isn't it Simon Simon? We are immortal until God calls us home. And that's right, isn't it? Are we living or existing? He's saying, Come on, live. Now, I was, I, was, I was getting death threats on this one occasion. If you want another bullet, a very clear one. Again, these are, these are in there. Uh, um, but, uh, you, can choose, you can choose gratitude or, or, or grumpiness. And uh, I'd say the biggest gift, and that's living together gratefully, the biggest gift that Burundi has given me is the gift of gratitude. Um, and that came particularly from the sign of Scarlet Strong Kilman. He wrote me a letter saying he was going to cut out my eyes. And uh, he came to, with a grenade uh, to my house to blow me up. And again, that's not a fun experience, but that was a great experience, one of the best experiences of my life. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I said, thank you, Lord, that I can see. You know, thank you for the gift of eyesight. 
And it's a gift, isn't it? It's not a right. Ask a blind person. Our challenge is that we are in an entitlement culture where it's all about our rights. So when we don't get what we want, it's an affront to my, to my divine right to happiness, fulfillment, purpose, whatever. And that's why a lot of us, you know, you can have everything to live with and nothing to live for. And if that's not you, then that's a bunch of your colleagues around there. You know, we've reached the top of the tree. Success, stuff, but masses of emptiness and a spiritual bankruptcy and brokenness and relational dysfunction and, and crappy marriages because we've prioritized the wrong stuff. You have everything to live with, nothing to live for. And so, you know, I, I could have preached this morning, I could have taken as a text, uh, Romans 12, you know, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I often preach on those verses. It's like, get on the altar, off yourself and surrender. And um, now, therefore, in view of God's mercy, the Greek word there for mercy, it's plural. It's mercies. And at the end of chapter 11, it's all about God's grace, that we would do this. That's why it says, therefore, in view of God's grace, get on the altar. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, it's all back to grace. It's all about grace. And let me just tell a story on that. My daughter is named after a girl down the, down the road from me who started her life down a toilet. So if I'd shown you pictures, I would have shown you a picture of me holding this little baby. And then I'll show you the next picture of her as an adult. Beautiful lady. So she, was, she started her life thrown away down the toilet. So her mum, obviously going through her at the time, dumped her and left. And this is the university hospital. And someone was about to go to the loo and they saw her down in the filth. And, and, and this fetus was still alive. And they reached down and picked her up and got poo on themselves in the process. She wasn't, she wasn't dead because her neck got caught in the U-bend of the toilet. They cleaned her off, got um, themselves in the process, fed her through a straw like a little bird. She weighed just a couple of pounds. And now look at her. She's this beautiful young lady. She's doing really well. Now, why, and I, when I married Lizzie and, and the, the, the prospect of having children, I said to Lizzie, if the God ever blesses us with a daughter, I want to name her after this girl. Why? Because my friend who rescued that girl gave her the name Grace. I love that name because that's my story, and I hope it's every one of you's story here. That it doesn't matter whether a multi murderer is pillaging idiots in Central Africa or very self absorbed people here in California. We all need God's grace, don't we? And that's the gospel. God reaches down, He picks us up. It's not religion, this is crucial, isn't it? Because you can choose religion or relationship, that'd be another bullet. And some of us are more legalistic, and, and I, you know, I can fight that legalistic tendency, but he just, I'm into relationship. And, and religion would be trying to earn our way out of that pit by ourselves. That's what most people are trying to do on the planet, under whatever religion. But Jesus is completely different. He's like, no, there's no way you can get out of that pit by yourself. You're down there stuffed, but, but I'll come down. I'll be the incarnation. I'll come down, and I'll, and I'll pick you up, and I'll bridge that gap, and I'll clean you off, me on the cross. Sunday's coming, right? And I'll take your... On, 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 on me so that you can be free and acceptable and loved and that's grace and that's what it's all about and, uh, and so my daughter next picture would be Big Grace is named after Little Grace is named after Big Grace and you know that, that she became our babysitter and then we got her scholarship to study at, uh, here in the States in Ohio and she just graduated a few months ago summer cum laude and uh, next month she's flying out to Brady to work for me uh, as our social media guru and uh, I just love, isn't that amazing? And that's from the pit of the toilet to, I mean, that's just, that's God, isn't it? That's grace. <clears throat> Therefore, if you have God's mercy, so the, the living together gratefully did, you know, I'm a Brit, our national pastime is moaning. You know, we are so good at complaining. <laughs> we moan about everything. And, uh, and yet that experience was so defining for me because I started thinking, okay, sight, you know, these might be, these might be gone in the next couple of days and the whole body might be gone, so life's a gift. 
Everything's a gift. And yet I've been living entitled to all these things, as, as, living with the assumption that that was normal. And, uh, and so now, in view of God's mercies, I'm tempted to self-pity right now today. Oh, it's going to me, or my, I've got a tough lot in life. Okay, let's just go through the gross bits of home. I can see. And I've got ten of those things I turn. The average distance in Africa someone walks is six kilometers to fill up and get some water for the street. Um, I, I, I've got access to healthcare. <clears throat> As my pastor's 18-year-old brother died in his arms because he didn't have five bucks for the medicine across the counter. Five bucks for life, that's sick and wrong. I've had that disease on times. So that's wrong. Sometimes we're meant to get angry, aren't we? Right. All it takes for evil's prospects is good people to do nothing. There's lots of good people doing nothing. I'm not accusing of that, but like, we should get angry about the things. God, you know, Jesus got angry when he saw the misuse of his father's house. What other, other things? Um, education. All of us, we can read and write. I think of a girl, one of our youth accounts, she stood up, she confessed to sleeping with a priest to get five bucks again for her school fees. And I don't accuse that girl at all. I don't judge her at all. Why? Because if she didn't, she'd still be illiterate first grade. So there's no room to judge. And we got freedom as nation to say Jesus is Lord. It's, 250 million Christians around the world live under oppressive regimes where they get kicked out of their family, they'll lose their job, but imprisonment, you know. I hope you get, you know, be it to what's the martyrs, there's a whole bunch of organizations, aren't there? They'll be premises about that. You know, these are brothers and sisters. I had a friend of mine who'd come back from China, we were walking along and processing his experience. He'd been back four days. He said, Simon, every day in China I do something to get myself arrested, i.e., tell people about Jesus. Every day I've been I think about four days and I haven't done anything arrestable. And his point was that where it was free, there wasn't the cost to sharing his faith, that he sort of slackened off. Whereas where he was living in the back and he was very intentional, uh, you know, he'd use that. You know, have we done anything arrestable this week? Let's, let's do it. You know, Jesus went that far for us, didn't he? It's like making opportunities, praying for opportunities, seeking opportunities. But, you know, let's, you can choose gratitude or, or grumpiness. And, you know, we all know people that come, you know, come to the room, they just suck the energy out of the room. They're always complaining. Uh, and, uh, you know, at least, I'm sure, materially, we are amongst the most blessed people in the history of humanity. And yet we can still be completely, you know, depressed and, and, and broken and all those things. Again, it's everything to live with and nothing to live for. At least we have got something to live for because we've got Jesus. And that's a message that so many of our people around us need to hear. Another bullet might be urgency or apathy. Again, if you live expecting to die, you're going to live with a sense of urgency. And it's easy to live apathetic. And I wonder where you self-diagnose in terms of that scale of, uh, of total urgency with Jesus here and, and apathy on that end. Land of apathy. And I suspect, you know, again, because this is the, the disadvantage of the advantage of living in a lovely place, is that you can't see bombs falling all over San Jose or, or Palo Alto or downtown where you can't see those bombs. I've only been here a couple of days. You know, I, 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 I've, I've heard and seen bombs fall all the time in neighborhoods. I know there's a war going on. I can also see a war falling on you. Psh, <laughs> apathy. Psh, <laughs> materialism. Psh, <laughs> comfort. Bombs falling all over you guys. And unless you recognize there's a war going on, you will live kind of that apathetic life, spiritually. I mean, there can be a disconnect, can't there, between our spiritual and our professional lives are full on. In our professional lives, but sometimes spiritually we let things slip. It's like, come on, move it on that. If you, if you recognize what matters, then you're going to live with eternity in mind. Anything which is an eternal is eternally out of date. That's C.S. Lewis, pithy but strong, isn't it? Anything which is an eternal is eternally out of date. You say, I want to live with a sense of urgency. So one time I was preaching on the Congolese border. And do you know the parable of the ten virgins? The story of Matthew 25, those 10 girls, they all had a role to play. And, um, and uh, 
but, but five of them just weren't ready. Uh, they didn't have enough oil in their lamps, and, and so when the wedding party was late in arriving, they, you know, they fell asleep. Uh, they then woke up, trimmed their lamps, they had to run off and buy some more. Those that were ready went in, door shut, party time, you know, as a picture of the kingdom. And then the five late comes, can we come in? Can we come in? They heard this horrific pronouncement. Dabalbirokuri, Sembaz, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Now, some of Jesus' parables are very nuanced, multi-layered, and complex. Others are seriously not rocket science. That's a, that's a straightforward teaching. One point is threefold. Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? Jesus is coming, nobody knows when, are you ready? And someone chose to get ready. Culturally, they just ran forward, they wanted to you know, receive that assurance and be grateful. And others, I'm guessing, say, no, I'm going to sell my wild oats, no, I'm going to keep on running a company with slightly uh, dodgy ethics because you know, we're going to make mega bucks and then I'll get more surrendered to Christ later on. You know, whatever would be the thinking going on. And uh, anyway, two days later, I'm on my motorbike heading towards that village and I stopped at a roadblock. And, uh, and the military said, you can't go any, any further because there's been a rebel attack from Congo into, into Burundi and those guys are getting killed. And it sort of hit me as never before the urgency of our message. Who on the, who on the Friday morning could possibly leave that two days later? Well, Friday, Sunday's coming, Jesus is coming. But, but you, you, you see, in that context, it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. Who could have believed that Jesus was coming, in a sense, on Tuesday? And that was the urgency of our message. So we need to live ready. And, uh, and what does live, living ready look like for you? By the way, wherever I go, uh, don't, don't sign up if you don't want to. I just, if you want to keep in touch, um, just put your email down there. I know we get lazy emails. So don't put it up to any sense, but bonus if you do. Um, so another one would be cynicism or action. Cynicism or action, it's so easy to sort of settle for cynicism. And, I, and I'm guessing here we all have that level of financial economic security that, you know, things don't have to change for cynics to, to keep their standard of living and to look after themselves. And, and that's the easiest default to settle for, you know. And, and this is preaching to myself because, you know, the world is so screwed up and there's so many problems. And I know there's plenty of problems down your street in your own backyard. But you can imagine it in the room. It's, it's horrific. Uh, and so the easiest would be just to think, there are always going to be those problems, so you know, what can we do about it? Look after our own. But are you going to choose cynicism or action? And I'm not saying cynicism or optimism, because the antidote to, to cynicism isn't optimism, it's action. Action that's born out of hope because Sunday's coming. And we live in that second, second day world, or we live in that third day God, don't we? He rose on the third day. We live in that second day. You know, things are pretty messy right now. It could be dark and we have loads of confusion and, and things that don't reconcile with, with our understanding. But he's saying, you know, live for hope. And maybe the only two groups that view the world realistically are, are, are the cynics and the saints. Everyone else is living in some kind of delusional middle ground. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the possibility, the power of hope. Hope that is rooted in an empty tomb, an empty cross. A risen Christ. And so, you know, there's loads of senses in the house. I mean, I don't know you guys, the only person I've met before here, here is Mark, but, but you know, we, we can be cynical, we can be negative, we can be defeated, so we can be insular, and, and God is calling us, you, me, saying, be hopeful. Hope that defies circumstances. And, uh, yeah, I mean, preach to yourself, Simon. It's been very hard, it's been my biggest battle through 20 years. It's a long time, isn't it? 
of living. And, and 2015, can you imagine a sucker punch of pretty much overnight, let's say over a week, a country going back 20 years in a week. Just trashed. Everyone withdrawing, funding gone, half the government funding withdrawing, half the government, just like that, because there's uh, the European Union in this case saying we're not endorsing a corrupt regime. That's not democratic elected. And, and, uh, and you know, suffering. And, so I had wept and wept, and we, we called to we called to embrace tears as well, right? because that's engaging in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's what Philippians three ten talks about. And so you could choose cynicism, but he's saying you don't want to choose action. Uh, comfort or the cross, you know, the way of comfort, the way of the cross. Uh, that's another choice, and, and Jesus is calling us the way of the cross. Luke nine twenty three says, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Take currently across daily and follow me. And you know, I I often sort of in deeper moments of introspection, I'm like, God, I'm sorry, I think I'm expecting you to follow me on my terms and my convenience, with me setting the parameters of this relationship. And you saying, No, you follow me. So are you following him or are you expecting him to follow you? And, and this is very challenging, isn't it? Because we are living in the most comfortable place on the planet. Give or take, you know, you go, I don't know. Singapore, that looks pretty nice. Or, you know, there's different places, there's pockets of it. This is a pocket of, of, of the most materialistic blessing on the planet. And so everything is about comfort. All decisions are made with comfort in view, pretty much. And, and, and yet we have, we, we have to be given a different spirit. Or we call to live by a different spirit. And the challenge, again, is, is there that you've probably seen this illustration of the frog in a pan of water? You know that one? You put a frog in a pan of boiling water, he jumps out! Because he knows it's death. Put that, put that same frog on that same pot in the same pan, the same water, but start with it cold. And just heat it up by ignorance. And then he just, he's cooked. He's literally cooked because it's subtle. And the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he's the father of lies. And when he, speak, when he lies, he speaks his own language. And, and that is what Satan is. But Jesus has come to life and life to the full. So that's, that's John 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to life and life to the full. But the problem is, we're listening to the wrong voices. And I feel like I'm, I come off this different planet, Burundi, and I arrive back in the West, be it in San Francisco or in London or wherever. And I feel like I'm, a, I'm the frog jumping out of the pan of water. Not that I'm judging my, my colleagues who are working in the city in London or whatever, but it's just an objective reality is that. Is that they're in the pan of water and they're not noticing the different things and they're just getting taken out. And if you don't guard your heart, so the last two weeks my memory goes to my kids and I urge us to be getting the word of God into our, into our children's lives. It's Proverbs 4 verse 23, above all else, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. Above all else, of all things, guard your heart, it's the wellspring of life. What do we let into our heart? Because what you let into your heart is going to come out. And I think that if you did a self-assessment of what you watched, your viewing habits from 10 years ago to now, for example, and 10 years ago, you're like, that is gross, that is disgusting, that the Holy Spirit in me is offended by what's being uh, shown there. And that now, it's just normal. That's the danger, isn't it? Because we're in the, and everyone's watching it on, you know, there's, we, to a TED talk recently, and it talked. I can't believe this. I used to hold this two minutes. Two minutes. Good questions. Good. Uh, this TED, TED talk, and, and, and he was saying we, we get eight. We bombarded with eight thousand adverts a day. I was like, I, I'd be grateful for that. Whatever. That's a lot of adverts, isn't it? And every advert, in a sense, has a lie in it, doesn't it? Every advert's like, 
Without this, you are not man, you're not complete, you're not uh, and, and, and this product will meet that need, and then you'll be whole. And uh, so, my friends in Atlanta, they, they stop the adverts, you know, when the kids are watching it, and they say, okay, kids, what's the lie in that one? And they're teaching their kids to think. Now, we need that. Because we're being mobile the whole time, and maybe you're the, the frog in the pan, and we just get taken out with a wrong value system. And so, look, you can tell I've got loads more to share. What will it was for you? And then I suppose the next question following for that was, what, did, what are you going to do about it? So what will it was for me? What did God want me to hear of all that stream of consciousness this morning? From a very different context, but it's the same Jesus and it does apply. And I'm sorry that I actually haven't shared you know, stories in terms of enlarging our view of God, because having touched on the miraculous and the stories we've got, which are so far from different contexts, in terms of praying for the sick and then being healed, and demons being cast out, and witch doctors bowing down to Christ. I mean, that would be a full presentation of the gospel, which I've got time for, but that is our Jesus. Different context. I think Satan probably wants to manifest that way in your office, because it's, it's, it would wake everyone up, right? He's much happier that people are getting bigger and bigger uh, financial compensations, so they get so they get more and more distracted and don't take eternity seriously, you're right. So there's just different strategies. He's the father of lies, he's masquerades the angel of light, he's just going to use whatever strategy works. And so may this morning be an encouragement to each of you, may it be a, a wake-up call to us what really matters, may we choose ourselves to, to live together, gratefully, grateful people are happy people. And my joy can defy the circumstances of a hell of a place. And uh, last story, I think of a guy down the road, well, he's dead now, but a friend of mine saw him, and she went, it was in the refugee camp, she went over and sat next to him, he had an empty bowl, he was praying, she said, what's your story, old man? And uh, he, he told her, he was in his 80s, he'd walked six days to get to that refugee camp, he'd seen his wife and kids hacked to death, and his house burnt down, and so he had nothing left in the world. Part of those rags in that empty bowl. And then that horrific story, he turns out, he said, Madame, Monsieur there. I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. And I think that's it. I think it's a good Jesus. We've got, we're not better than anyone else, but we've got that revelation. It's calling us to share that with a sense of urgency. So would you choose faith over fear? Would you choose urgency over apathy? Would you choose the way of the cross over the way of comfort? Would you choose relationship, grace, it's a great message over rules, would you choose life over death, would you choose uh, action over cynicism would you choose gratitude over grumpiness, would you choose yeah, there's a whole bunch of those things, so God bless you all so we're going to spend time and discuss the rest yeah that was awesome, let's round up applause this time So it's, it's, it's 8.20, if anybody needs to leave, uh, feel free. But let's just do a couple of um, uh, quick questions, maybe for, for a couple of minutes. And then what I'd like to do is, after just a couple of questions, um, we'll, we'll kind of just turn to the buddy next to you, and and, and maybe we'll just kind of talk about one, one, of the, one of the questions or something that, uh, that, that really hit you from, uh, from some of the spot today. So does anybody have any questions they want to ask? That story? Son, you get the record for probably the most bullets tossed out in a, in a 60 minute period ever. You're, you're fast. I really appreciate it. Another question. So, you alluded to this, but you have what one miracle story is going to be a short story? Okay. Um, all right. The first one that comes to mind 
gathering around this girl, well, coming to this village, um, and, and this, uh, this lady says, you know, go away, we're not interested, and then, and then, and said, all right, now come back, I'll let you, I'll let you talk to our village, but first of all, heal this demon-possessed girl. Um, and so, um, the whole village came to watch, prayed over that demon-possessed girl, demons cast out, um, and her, that lady, a few minutes earlier, is telling them where to go, 20 other people have been given their lives to Christ. So, you know, you, I think you would again, sort of seeing the higher power. So, yeah, lots of beautiful stories like that. Which doctors, you know? Um, now that you're moving back to London, um, how do you, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, how are you planning on keeping that level of urgency and intensity and just a, a very different intentional yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm, we're actually moving to Bath, which is about two hours from London, south west England, but, you know, we're, we, we literally, we, you know, we don't have any furniture, we, we, we do own a house, but it's a different part of the, uh, Actually, so we're going to rent. We, we look, last night we were looking on the website, you know, so we have anything coming up. But we like, you know, I've put out feelers for potentially living in community, uh, but I don't think you'd start a community with people you didn't know. But I think in a very individualistic culture, we've lost that sense of togetherness, community, which which can be done not living, you know, ten of you two five families in a house, but you know, you have to be so intentional about seeking to do life together, interdependence. I mean, that's more biblical, I think, than pure. Independence. Uh, so I'm trying to. I'm, I'm, well, it's a beautiful potential season of what does that look like? Because it's a fresh start. So we're like, yeah, so Lord, give us key relationships of people that are marching to the beat of that similar drum and that you know, are getting more excited about costly sharing their faith rather than just about stuff. And, and we need people to hold us to account on that. So, you know, I think in terms of accountability groups, to me, that's just about. Particularly for men, I think it's about the most important building block spiritually to have in your life. And, and, and so this is fantastic. And then it's like a subset of this with two or three other guys. You know, I'm, I, my, my, my best friend, I don't really like him. Uh, and the reason I don't really like him is that when I get an email from him, I know he's, he's emailing me to nuke me out of my comfort zone. Because uh, <laughs> uh, he loves me too much to let me slip to that lowest common denominator, to let me settle the spiritual mediocrity. So he, he you know, I've got. And, and some of us were more naturally confrontational than others. Most of us are more uh, just wanting to encourage and affirm. But you know, you, you shouldn't. If you if you see someone you love and they are settling for less than the best, that's not loving, is it? To affirm that you need to call that out and say, you know, you're just slipping there, you know, and, and hold us to a, a higher account. And so I'm grateful for the likes of him, and I and I invite I want to invite key people to that process of holding us to account, saying, oh, come on, come on. What's that look like in terms of what property we go for? I mean, and actually, relatively limited in terms of what we can look for. But you know, is this going to be functional? Is it, are we trying to just now play catch up on the people that have chosen different career paths? Are we going to settle into that? Or and what matters? And, and, and we want to model that to our kids. And you know, those of you got kids, that's a big challenge. And what are we modeling to them? Because if we're modeling, you know, Jesus tagged on and a self-sufficient lifestyle, where we don't need to call on God. Don't, I'm going to find that attractive. There are so many other lines out there that are superficially more attractive and enticing. They're going to get sucked in. So we want them. We want to live by faith such that they develop their own faith stories. So little Josiah, who, who's about as you know, naturally, spiritually indifferent uh, as, 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 you know, he's just a hundred boy. Now he's nine, so he was five when that happened. But, but you know, we remind him of that, that God's got his hand on him. You know? And that faith story came out from not playing it safe 
I mean, willing to not flee when things are difficult. And we want our kids in general to develop their own faith journeys, but they need to see that model from us. So, you know, that, that's a, a sort of a wishy-washy answer, but, you know, we, the attention is there, and we know that unless we are extremely intentional and countercultural, we will just become normal. And uh, that's very dangerous. Yeah. What are the needs that you're praying for right now? I mean, there are massive ones. I mean, our, our charity, I don't know, it's the agenda, but yeah, I, I'm just trying to get behind vision is to get behind the best local leaders and passion, integrity, gifting, and vision for the transformation of the nation. So we've identified 15 organizations out there that we are providing for. So part of my job is to raise you know, about 500 salaries and, and a whole lot of nation-shaping stuff. So, so the needs there are obviously huge. Uh, on, a, on a macro level, I'm praying for lasting peace in that nation with, with righteous rule. Ted, last question. Um, I just want to say that uh, this is a word for me, and I believe this is a word for the Bay Area, and I want you, will you pray for me right now? I want to live this way. Father God, thank you for Ted saying that, and I pray for him as my brother, I pray for each of us here, Lord, that we receive the bullet, or the couple of bullets that you have for us, and that we would truly live this, and that, uh, yeah, even as we step out of the room in 10 minutes, Lord, we would leave change, resolved to take some key decisions that make will mean life is going to look differently so there's a practical outworking. Well, we don't want to be uh, people that hear something and then just move on. Would you impact us for your glory so we conform increasingly to the likeness of Jesus. We agree on that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.